0: Uh, last week let's just go ahead and get into this now last week we started a study in the book of Philippians uh, we started looking at some of the groundwork as to you know where the the church got started why Paul wrote this letter um, and, and we looked at the the different connections of rejoicing through the midst of struggles and through the midst of uh, the things that life throws at us you know Paul keeps telling them to rejoice he's there's a reason you have to tell people to rejoice is because they don't have anything right in front of them that they recognize that they have joy over, right? You know, if, you, if somebody's already got joy in your life, you don't have to continually tell them, well, you can rejoice in this too. They're already doing it, right? They already know. So Paul was telling this church the different things that they have to rejoice in, and, and tonight we're going to get started into some of those details. We're going to pick up in verse 3, so if you've Got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll get right in there in, in just a moment, but before we read uh, the passage that we're going to be in, I just want to ask, what is it, and, and, and we don't necessarily need an answer, but I want you to think about, what is it that brings you joy? Right? What, what things in your life, what people in your life, events, um, maybe just where you work, who you get to be around, the things you get to do. What, what brings you joy in life? Another question, an important question to ask, what, what is joy? If I ask you to define joy, most of us are going to probably use the word happiness or something like that. Or we, we would kind of sort of equate happiness and joy. And, and on your page, I have a, a description on here. And this is just something that I want us to be thinking about as we're going through this study in Philippians. And on your page it says happiness, there's a couple of blanks, happiness is most often connected to what is happening in your life, right? So happiness happening. Think about it that way because some days you're not happy because bad stuff's happening, right? And some days you are happy as can be because good stuff's happening, right? So our circumstances will ebb and flow and so will our happiness with those circumstances. Joy is something much more meaningful and powerful. Biblical joy is connected to hope and therefore cannot be hindered by temporary circumstance. You see the difference? Happiness is going to come and go with whatever's going on in your life. And that's normal and that's expected and that doesn't make you bad if you're not happy, right? It just means it's a bad day or a bad week or a bad whatever. Joy is directly connected to hope. And that's why Paul is going to continually bring the, the church in Philippi back to the facts that you still have joy in the midst of whatever it is you're going through because you have hope, because you have all of these other things. And so tonight we're going to analyze one of Paul's prayers. Right? He starts off with a small greeting, and then he gets right into, man, he's, he's joyful because of his connection to them. And he has a specific prayer for that church. And we saw this also in, in the book of Ephesians, if you remember. Paul does this quite often. Right? He'll, he'll get an intro going. He'll say, you know, grace and peace. And man, every time I think of you, I pray these things. And, and, and this is no different. We'll see it in just a second. And if you remember, when we got into the prayer that Paul had for the Ephesians, man, Paul's prayers are not like our prayers. right? Paul does not... He does not pray and ask for difficulties to go away. He seeks for God to use them, right? He doesn't request ease. He requests growth, right? And we, we hear the term growing pains. Well, it's because growing hurts, not just because, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, I had to go to the doctor and get my knees checked out. I was an old man as a seven-year-old or something, I don't know, so before my time, I think, and uh they said, no, it's, it's just literally growing pains. Your knees hurt because there's growth plates and this is growing faster than that and whatever. It's just growing pains. Right? We have growing pains in life. You, you, you have bad circumstances that come along and, and you grow through the experience and you understand how to, to deal with life. And, and spiritual growth is no different. Right? God allows circumstances because he wants us to grow. And we'll see that a little bit more before we finish. So let's go ahead and read. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 3 to 11, and you guys can follow along. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, there is the joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense to the, of the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, it is always humbling to see the way that Paul prayed to you, the things that he was thankful for, the the guarantees that he was banking on, and the specific requests that he put uh, at your feet for those believers that he loved dearly. Lord, we often just want our problems to go away. We don't realize that you have a purpose. We just want ease. We want uh, the difficulty to go away. We don't realize that, that we can fall more deeply in love with you in the midst of it. We don't realize the connections we can have. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to have perspective tonight. I pray that you help us to appreciate how Paul prays and what he's praying for. Lord, help us to see the way that he saw and help us to understand your word the way he understood it. Uh, we love you, and we pray that you would change our hearts tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. All right, so one of the first things that stands out is the, all the absolutes that Paul is using when he's praying this. He is convinced, right? He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance, always in every prayer for you all, right? Down in uh, verse 7, even as is meet for me to think this of you all, Ye all are partakers of my grace. I long after you all, right? he's, he's. It's absolute statements. Everybody's included. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're included in my memory. You're included in my confidence of what God's doing in your life. You're included in my request for God to work in you because I know that's what he wants to do. Right? Paul's, Paul's confident. He's, he's convinced that God wants these things in their lives and and he dearly loves everybody that's there. Some of this is probably because Paul was not at Philippi very long. Right? So he goes, he starts a church, there's people getting saved, they get this massive uh, amount of difficulty and physical harm put on them, they get put in jail, and, and then the Spirit says, hey, it's time to go, it's time to go to another place. Well, Paul goes to another place, you know in the back of his mind, I, he had to have been thinking, I, I just wasn't there long enough. I didn't get to tell him this. I didn't get to establish them in this other doctrine. I didn't get to you know, set things in order, leaders and, and all of those things. And we do see that Paul makes two other visits to Philippi on his uh, second and third missionary journeys. And so he's, he's constantly got them in his mind. He's constantly thinking, man, if, if only I could get back there. I miss those guys. I wonder if they know this. I wonder if, and so I think, it would be not a big stretch to to believe that this is why Paul wrote this letter. He wants them to know who they are. He wants them to have the confidence they don't need him because of the things that they have. right? And so the first thing that we see is Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. It's almost like Paul is, is a little bit worried, but then he's kind of reminding himself, oh yeah, but you know what? I can be thankful because I know God doesn't save people and just leave them at the side of the road. God doesn't doesn't just save people and have no purpose for them. God doesn't save people and just just forget about them. And so Paul's reminding himself, in essence, and telling them, hey, this this is what I kept praying. This is what I kept going back to. All right. So he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And so the first thing that we see is Paul is so thankful that he has that fellowship. He has a connection through the gospel. Right, we all have this connection. We talked about this last week just a little bit, man. There's people that I've met that don't speak the same language as me. And through a translator, I figure, you know, I find out, man, we have so much in common because we have the common bond of Jesus Christ. We have the common bond of the gospel and what Christ has done for us, and I owe my life, and I'm laying my life down for Christ, and I meet a brother in Albania doing the same thing, yeah. and I meet somebody in the Philippines doing the same thing. Man, what, a, what an awesome, awesome connection you have, no matter what those language barriers or culture differences are. You meet somebody else that loves the Lord and, and is willing to sacrifice for them, you are connected right away, Amen. right? And Paul's saying, man, I, I saw that in you guys, and I'm Every time I think about you, I think, man, I wonder if, but you know what? Man, we had that connection. I'm so thankful for that fellowship. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, the next chapter we're going to see, once we get there, it says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord and of one mind. If we're unified in Christ, well, Christ is one, and he's heading one direction, and he is the absolute, right? He is the truth, he is the word. If we're, if we're unified with him, we're automatically unified with anybody else who is. Right? If anybody else is tracking with the Lord and his word, and we're doing the same, well, we're on the right side. Right? We're on the same side. That's an awesome privilege. First John 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So, so not only do we have a connection with other believers, we have a connection to Christ, specifically when we're willing to suffer for his name. Right? We, we saw the name, the title Christian, was a mocking name little christ and those who got called or were called that name they earned it because they were willing to sacrifice their lives and their reputation and their names for the name of christ Amen. right so we have that fellowship with him when we're willing to do you know whatever it takes when we're willing to lay down our lives for him and for his name then we get to be we get to experience a closer connection first john 1 6 and 7 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Right? If we're tracking with him, if we're walking with him, we're walking in the light, that's righteousness, and somebody else is, then we're automatically connected. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us all, or cleanses us from all sin. So first of all, we're connected with the, the gospel. That connection grows stronger or weaker based upon our walk. Right? It, it's based upon our adherence to the truth or our rejection of it. How many of you have ever experienced, maybe just let's just look at yourself, don't, don't, talk, don't think about you know, that other person you've experienced walking away. How many of you have ever experienced where you've had sin in your life and you felt judged and you felt a little bit far apart from everybody else, and you felt like there was just some sort of disconnection, and they're all looking at me funny. Well, you're out of fellowship, Mm -hmm. right? And and they may not even have any earthly idea that you've done anything that you've done. They have no clue. You think they know, and you feel the void. But they have no idea, because sin separates, right? Right. They're, They're tracking with the Lord, and you're not, so you can't have fellowship. It's just not even... It's not, it's not possible. Right? So Paul praises them for that connection that they have. He, he's praising God for the connection that he has with these other believers. So the, the other thing that he's praising for is the continuation of God's good work in their lives. And that is something that's incredible. That's, that's the thing, I believe, that's giving Paul great joy. Obviously, he loves these people. There's all kinds of people that you love. If you can't see them, that kind of makes you sad, right, normally, but Paul has great joy because he knows they're not alone. I can't get there. I can't see you. I can send a letter. I can send a friend. But I know that the Lord's with you. Right? And, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago. We've seen these verses a, a couple of times. And these are, these are an incredible promise. He says, being confident of this very thing in verse 6. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ even as it is meet or is suitable for me to think this of you all. It is okay that I think this. I'm not out of bounds in believing this, as Paul's saying, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye all are partakers of my grace. What Paul's saying is the grace that Jesus Christ bestowed upon me, this is, this is the, you know, the statement we looked at before. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? He, He's determined, the grace that God's provided me is not going to go to waste, and all of these Philippians are partakers of his grace. Right? The grace and gospel that God bestowed on Paul, he took it there and he gave everything so that they could have it as well. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is, uh, it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right? So God is at work in us, that's the promise. That's the guarantee that Paul is banking on. So how does God work in us? That's, that's the question. How does he fulfill this promise that he's going to do this work in us? Um, if you want to write down beside 1 Thessalonians 2.13 on the left there, he uses his word. I don't think there's blanks or anything there. So it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually, effectually worketh also in you that believe. We've been saying we want to join the Lord where he's at work. He wants to be at work in you. He wants to change your heart. He wants you to look more and more like his son every day. The one major way that he's going to do that is if you're getting in his book and reading it is not enough. He wants you to believe what you see, He wants you to say, okay, Lord, you've said this. Go ahead and prove it. Prove it in my life, Lord. Prove that that these things are true. I believe that what you say is true. I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to walk that way. And he says it effectually works in you that believe. So the one major way that he works in us is through his word. Another way is by our request. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding Abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, right? Are you asking him to work in you? Be prepared. If you ask, <laughs> he's going to go to work, right? And, and change hurts. It's growing pains. Sometimes it requires things to go a different way than your way. Right? He's, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He understands what we actually need. So one way is by his word, another is by our request. If we would just ask him, he's more than willing. And another way is by circumstances in our lives. We see Romans 8:28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. 2 Corinthians 4:17, for our light affliction, which is for a moment but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's saying look you're you're going through circumstances they don't feel light to you. But when you compare them to what he's actually accomplishing in you, when you get to the other side of it and see what he was working on and the changes he was making, you're going to look back and say that's a light affliction. That was worth what I had to go through. Because of how I know my Lord and Savior today. I didn't want to then. I'll never sign up for it again. But, but I know because I went through that. I know who my Savior is. I understand him better. Amen. We're tracking better. I, I have a fellowship with him that's closer than it ever was. Amen. Our light affliction. Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. I don't know who says that, right? We who, Paul? We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You know, you've heard the saying, don't ask for patience. Well, whether you ask or not, he wants you to have it, so it doesn't matter. And patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Remember that joy is tied directly to hope, maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, that's another another term we talk about often in here. You know, hope, our understanding of hope as Americans is the word hope means wish. I wish, I hope that I get to, you know, I hope that I get to see the Browns win a Super Bowl. That's not the, that's not the biblical term. I'm always picking on, we got Baker Mayfield now, right? <laughs> right now, now it's transition to biblical. Biblical hope is, is you're standing on a guarantee. You can have joy because you have hope. You can have joy because you're standing on a guarantee that takes you to the bank where God is the teller, right? He, sa- he says, come cash that in here. It's a guarantee. If I've promised it, you've got it. Amen. You've got joy because of the eternal life and because of the promises that he has. So hope and tribulation and all of those things, tribulation gives you patience. Patience, experience, experience gives you hope. And hope gives you joy, because you have guarantees from a God that cannot lie. So Paul is is reminding himself, and he's letting the Philippians know at the same time, hey, you guys may feel alone. You're not alone. God is not finished. He's guaranteed to work in you. He's actually delivering the word of God through Paul via letter. He's sending other men. There are gifts of the Spirit that are active, In use, and we're going to learn about those on the the next Sunday mornings. Paul's convinced and puts himself at ease and is trying to put them at ease at the same time. God's got this, and he has not let you go. You are not alone. It's an awesome promise, and it's an awesome thing for, for Paul to be thankful for. So that's Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. The next thing that we see, Paul transitions into a prayer of intercession. Right? And intercession is interceding on someone else's behalf right you're asking god for specific things for somebody else god will you do these things for them and so we see three different things in the text and we'll we'll just do them one at a time as we get to them now, the first one is in verse 9 he says this i pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge or in knowledge and in all judgment all right so love abound in knowledge and judgment <clears throat> He asks the same thing for the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians 3, verse 12. He says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Later on, we're going to see in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, Not that I, res- I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content." I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's, he's praying that they would abound in love with knowledge and judgment. Right? This, this knowledge and judgment comes from learning. He's learned how to be at peace. He's learned how to be content. And all of that stuff, again, comes with that experience. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-12, through 12, he says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Right? So God is teaching them, another guarantee, but, but Paul's specifically asking for God to do that active work in them. He says, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that they may have lack of nothing. All right? So he's saying, look, God's going God's to teach you to love. He, his display of love through Jesus Christ is the lesson. All right? What is love? It's what Christ did. He gave of himself so that you could benefit. So he's going to teach you that. And it, but the prayer is this, that you would abound there. You would, you would love more and more. You would give more of yourself. That's what Paul's asking for. John 10.10 10 says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. Right? Jesus isn't looking to just save you and get you out of hell, right? God didn't take Israel out of bondage to stick them into the wilderness so they could wander around and eat that light bread that they hated so much, right? He took them out of bondage to put them into promise. He took us out of our bondage to sin to give us a life of abundance. That doesn't mean he, he wants us to have everything easy and and, and just have it made all the time, he wants an abundance of love. He wants an abundance of joy. He wants an abundance of peace, the real riches that are promised in Jesus Christ. And who cares how much money you have if, if you can genuinely have peace in your heart? Doesn't matter. There are a lot of people with more money than I'll ever see that have no peace in their heart. There are a lot of people with less money than me that have no peace in their heart because they they have a love for money. Because if I could just have a little bit more, then, then it would be just easier. If, if I could just pay that bill, well, you've got to pay that bill. But if I could just pay that one, if I could just get a little bit more, there's just never peace, right? And the abundance that Christ is promising is to be able to have peace in the midst of all situations. Second Peter 1.8, For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul is asking that the things that they learn and the judgment that they use based on those things they learn drives them to further love, to further sacrifice for others. The second thing we see in uh, verse 10, the, the first part of verse 10, that, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Approve excellent things. <clears throat> Romans 2.18 says, "Knowest and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. So what does it mean to approve something? We're just doing definition after definition tonight. What does it mean to approve? It's something I like. I approve of that dessert. I like that. That's, that's the way we use it. That's not necessarily how... Paul is using this term, and, and we'll see it. And sometimes you can see you know, how a word is used by seeing the other words that it's translated into English as. So we're going to look at a couple of those. First John 4, 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The word that is translated approve in Philippians chapter 1, is translated try, here in First John, First Peter one seven, the, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The word approve is translated trial here. First Corinthians three thirteen. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. In 1 Thessalonians, the word is translated, prove, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. In Luke twelve fifty six, it's translated, discern, Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Right, Jesus is, is coming down on the, the, the uh, what are those guys called? Pharisees. Pharisees, that's the word, wow. I forgot what they were called. Thank you. He's coming down on the Pharisees because they're, they're doubting everything that he's doing. He's giving them all the signs and the miracles and everything that's supposed to prove who he is and what time it is, but they're missing everything. They don't discern what he ha- has shown them so this word approve has everything to do with discernment it has to do with that knowledge and judgment we just saw in verse 9 what do you do with knowledge what do you do with that judgment you you discern you put it to work and you make decisions right you agree with certain things and you disagree with other things you put things to trial you try the spirits as it says in 1 John Figure out, is, is, this, is this guy for God or is this guy against God? I don't know, how How do you find out? You try him against the standard. You, you put to trial the words that he's saying against what God's word says. So we're supposed to try things. We're supposed to, and, and not attempt, we're put, putting them to a trial. So what does the, the Bible say about our discernment? We're supposed to have discernment to choose those excellent things. So, what are the excellent things? Psalm 8:1, Our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth? Who has set Thy glory above the heavens? His name is excellent. Psalm 148:13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Amen. Proverbs 8:6. Here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. So there's two things that the Bible tells us are excellent. The Lord himself and his words. Right, His lips shall speak right things. He's going to speak excellent things. So if we're going to discern, if we're going to approve excellent things, Paul's asking them, to get in God's word, figure out what God says, and your decisions need to be aligned with what God says. This is interesting because if you, if you think back to when this time was, they didn't have any of God's word yet, likely, right? They would have, de- it would have been highly dependent upon gifts of the spirit. They would have been highly dependent upon whatever Old Testament they could have scrounged up, right? Maybe this, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember the order of the letters that went out, Maybe they had a letter from another church that they made copies of, right? So the word of God is just being established. Paul had already taught them some things. He had sent visitors with other information, right? And so they're compiling as much as they have. So his prayer makes a lot of sense that they would, they would approve excellent things. There's a whole lot of mess over here. There's there's false doctrine. There's there's persecution. Stick with what I told you. Stick with the word of God. You don't know it all yet, but what you know, you stick with that. Make your decisions upon what you know. I think that lesson applies to all of us, because how many of you know all of it? I mean, we have the whole book. We've got the full revelation of God, but I don't don't know most of it, (laughs) right? It's a big book. There's a lot of information. What do you know? That's a call to virtue. Right? The word virtue means to do what you know to do. That's right. It's to, to do the righteous things you know to do already. And when God shows you something else, you do that too. That's what Paul's praying. That they would be obedient to the things that they know. The third thing he says in, in verse 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. To be sincere and without offense offense. Paul, or Peter talks about the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Well, that's the sincere milk of the word. That's, that's the truth of the word of God. That's what we grow with. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Right, Sincerity is aligning ourselves again with what God says. We're not, we're not corrupting the word of God. We're not trying to change what he says. Uh, Philippians 1.16.1, we'll see this next week. The one, preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, since supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Paul suffered this persecution, and then because of his persecution, there were all kinds of people all over the place reacting in different ways. Some of them were mocking it, Right? They weren't sincere about the things that they were repeating. Joshua twenty four fourteen. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served. Those are false gods. On the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Serve ye the Lord. Right? Sincerity is, is all, of those, all of that knowledge and judgment and discernment put into action to where your steps actually follow what you say they should follow. Back to Paul's prayer, he's implying that if they, they hold on to God's word in sincerity, they're going to be without offense. So what does that word offense mean? And it is, I think it's spelled with a, a C, so that's just the old English way, it's the same word. Without offense, Acts 24, 16, and herein, do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men? So this word offense, th- there's two ways that you can offend. There's two, ind- two directions. You can offend toward God or you can offend toward men. So what's, what is the greatest offense toward God? Well, it's sin. Right? That's pretty simple. Romans 5.15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So our offense is our sin. When we offend God, it's because we have sin in our lives. What is the greatest offense that we can commit toward other people? Kind of, but First Peter 2.8 says, And a stone... Of stumbling, a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. God says His word is an offence to to men and women of this world, to us when we were sinner, sinners. It, it confronts you, right? So it's it's God's word's job to be an offence and a stumbling block to sinners. It's not our job right? We share God's word. We, we're, we're honest with God's word. We want to make sure that we give people the truth, and that may offend them, but your lifestyle shouldn't, right? Your, your hypocrisy shouldn't offend them. Your decisions, they, they absolutely need to match up with what God says. They absolutely need to match up with what you say you agree with what God says, right? You can't be a hypocrite. Remember the the sons of Eli in 1 Samuel, maybe chapter 2, right? The the people, it says, abhorred or abhorred, they hated the offering of the Lord because of the hypocrisy of those men. They hated to go to church because there was terrible hypocrites there. Well, there's hypocrites everywhere. Just don't let it be you, right? And if it is you, then make it right. Fix it. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Don't let your name be connected to something that blames the ministry because of your selfishness. That's what he's talking about. You offend God by sinning. You offend other people by driving them away from God. That's much worse than just sinning against them, Right? 1 Corinthians 10.32, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. God says the worst thing that we can do is cause others to turn from him. Causing them to stumble because of our selfishness. Now look, there is a difference between being honest and sharing the word of God and that offending somebody and living your life according to what God's word says and that convicts them and that offends them. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the word of God at work offending sinners in their sin. It's it's what it's going to do. But it's where we say one thing and live another. It's where we put our selfishness and ourselves first that causes people to despise the church. It causes people to despise and turn from God. And this includes the church of God. He says... Neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles. Those are the two lost groups of people, nor to the Church of God. We're supposed to be building one another up, right? We're supposed to be edifying one another, not frustrating our our Christian brothers and sisters. Finish up with just a couple of more verses here. Paul he he has joy when he thinks of the believers. And it drives him to prayer. First of all, he's thankful for what God has done in their lives. He's thankful for the promises of God of what he's going to do in their lives, should they respond. Right? It's, it's ultimately up to us to respond to that work that he wants to do. He thanks the Lord for fellowship. He thanks the Lord for inclusion. Right? He's not forgotten them. And then he's, he prays specifically for the areas that he knows they need to grow in. Maybe, we don't know, maybe those were areas, those were the three categories. Man, these are the things I didn't get to say to them. I didn't get, didn't get to give them enough information. So, God, would you please make sure that they know all of those three things, that they would abound in knowledge and judgment, that they would approve excellent things, that they would be sincere without offense. They, they're missing some information, God. You got to get it to them. And God's God's like, I got this, right? I got this. I'll get them the information. And Paul's reminding himself, and, and that gives him peace. That gives him joy. Philippians 1 8. We, we kind of skimmed over this one. It says, For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's in my gut. And my heart aches and my gut aches for you guys. God is my record. If I'm lying, I'm dying. That's what Bartlett always says, right? Man, his heart is, is there with those people. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. That's a pretty incredible verse. That's the fellowship that he had with those Philippians, that he went to prison with, that he was beaten with, that he was run out of town for. And they stayed there in the midst of that persecution. The sufferings of Christ abound, so does the consolation that also comes through Christ. And Christ's results of Paul's prayer, we see in in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And what an awesome outcome if, if the struggles that we have give us joy. If we can rejoice in the midst of the worst, even, even though it's terrible. Because we know there's hope. And in the midst of that, you can still bear fruit. And in the midst of that, you can, you can have the fruits of righteousness. Righteousness. Right? There are results, there are, there are positive things that come by sticking with the stuff Amen. through the worst of it. Amen. There's hope. It's, it's worth doing it the right way because Christ is there. And the ultimate result is the glory and praise of God. And that's why we're here. Right? That is why we're here. Let's pray. Father, thank you forward Paul's prayers again, uh, and I just ask that you help us with our perspective, maybe maybe in how we pray for others, that that we would pray more meaningful things like this. That we would pray things that, that would really be a tremendous benefit in the midst of whatever circumstances people are going through in our lives. And at the same time, I pray that we would gain a perspective of our own circumstances that match these requests, that we would be able to see that we can gain knowledge and experience and hope because you're there with us the whole way. You haven't left us. You haven't forgotten. You have a plan. It's the best plan we can be a part of. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue to, to work in our hearts and help us to see the, the joy It doesn't mean we have to be happy. It doesn't mean we have to like what we're in. But we certainly enjoy and we certainly um, are so thankful for the promises that you've made. That this light affliction, as you and Paul call it, a light affliction is is far outweighed by the glory that we're going to experience later. Thank you for those promises. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.